it has everything to do with our identity and understanding who we are. Friends, over the last two weeks, we have seen our identity of who God has said we are. Not some quest we have to discover ourselves, but who God has pronounced us to be. We've seen that if we are a follower of Christ, that God the Father has chosen to adopt us and to transform us, that we belong, that we're adopted. We saw last week that Jesus has made a way for us to belong, that our identity is all about belonging to God and having purpose because as he transforms us, as he uses us, it's all about our relationship to him. But friends, our identity of belonging to God can raise some questions for some people. The question for some people is, can I lose that identity? Could I lose that status of belonging to God? If God's adopted me, will he ever then cast me out? Would he ever disown me? If God is in the business of transforming, he's ever going to just throw up his hands in despair and say, he's too much trouble, I'm going to give up on him, I'm not going to transform him anymore. Is there going to be ever some sin that's going to keep me from getting into heaven? And will there, will there ever be something that will make me useless for God's purposes? And friends, the answer to all those questions is no, 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 and no. Friends, I want us to see this morning that unlike our feelings, which can change and can be so fickle, unlike all the stuff around us that can be so uncertain, our identity in Christ is permanent and is secure. And how can that be? Not because of anything in you and me, but because of what God has done. So this morning, I want you to see from Ephesians 1 this one idea, and that is simply the Holy Spirit assures me of my future with God. Friends, in a world of instability and uncertainty, whether it's jobs, health, circumstances, anything around us, the world of so much instability and uncertainty, that identity we've been looking at for the last two weeks, our belonging to God, that is sure, that is certain, that is not unstable, that will always be there, not because of anything in ourselves, not because I have to get up every morning and think this is who I am, but because of God's work and what God has done, I can be assured of my future with God. So turn to Ephesians chapter 1 or find it on your Bible app if you're not there yet. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 11. Now, as you're finding that, there's one little thing about these texts we've looked at the last two weeks today that I failed to mention to you. Everything we've seen the last two Sundays of today is one sentence in Greek. So yes, we spent three sermons on one sentence in the Greek here. Everything from verse 3 through verse 14 is one 200-long-word sentence in the original language. Now, our translators are kind to us. And they break up this one sentence into a bunch of sentences. And in mine, it's actually two paragraphs. So this whole column is two paragraphs, but it's really just one sentence. Well, that's really nice of the translators to do that for us. It makes it a little bit easier and manageable for us to break it apart. The danger in doing that, though, is we begin to isolate these ideas and see them as separate ideas. But everything we saw two weeks ago about our belonging to God and being adopted, everything we saw last week about what Jesus has done for us and us being part of his plan, and everything we see today about the Holy Spirit assuring us of our future is really just one idea that Paul is building. It's one phrase, verse 3, and everything else we see is like prepositional phrases, building, 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 building on this one idea that we're seeing in the text here. And so as we look at that, realize that today's sermon is not isolated from others, but it rather is part of everything we've seen the last two weeks. Our our identity in Christ is secure because of what the Holy Spirit does in assuring us of our future with God. So with that said, I want to pick up in the middle of Paul's really long sentence this morning in verse number 11. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who was the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. 
Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so thankful that you have shown yourself to us. And God, we're so thankful as well that we don't have to go figure out who we are. But God, you've revealed to us and your kindness to us, shown us how you see us in Christ. And God, I pray today your Holy Spirit would come and let your word become alive in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters. That we would better understand who we are in you and the security, the assurance that we have in that and the difference it makes in our lives. So we ask you to have your way in our midst, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So and from these few verses at the end of this long sentence of Paul to the people in Ephesus and to us, I want to see that the Holy Spirit assures us of our future with God. Now, we've got to start with the fundamental of who is the Holy Spirit here, because that's the core of this text. So go back to verse number 13. In Him, that's in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, in Jesus, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So, so who is the Holy Spirit, friends? I want to remind us at the outset the Holy Spirit is not a force. I just saw the Star Wars movie. I love Star Wars. Some of you know that. The, 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 Spirit, the Spirit of God is not like the force. It's not some imaginary thing out there you don't really know what it is. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. Is He the Holy Spirit? It's not an it. Is He the Holy Spirit? Just as much as Jesus is God and the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God. He is fully God. He has all the attributes of God. Everything you would ascribe to Jesus and to the Father, you can ascribe to the Holy Spirit as well. He has all the attributes of God. He also feels this, the Bible describes him as grieving over things. He, the Holy Spirit, is the third person of the Godhead who has feelings. And he is powerful. He, the Holy Spirit, moves. He convicts of sins. He encourages. He speaks. He's able to help. He is the third person of the Godhead. One God, three persons. He's the one who is the one who assures us of who we are in Christ. In fact, he's the one here in this verse, verse 13, is described for us as the promised Holy Spirit. What's this promise about? This is what we saw when we looked at John have it up on the screen for you, but John chapter 15, verse 26, and we think back to our last study we did of the Gospel of John. These are the words of Jesus. But when the Helper, another word for the Holy Spirit, when the Helper comes, whom I, that's Jesus, will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, he proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So we see the Holy Spirit's active to bear witness about Jesus. John 16, 7, we see as well about him. Again, Jesus talking, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Remember, the disciples are going to be really puzzled at this point. Why, why would it be good for me for you to leave? Here's why. For I do not, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is promising that the Holy Spirit is going to come and be the helper for his people. It will actually be better for his followers, for Jesus to not be physically present, but to have the Holy Spirit physically present with him. And then John chapter 16, verse 13 as well. Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Friends, that is the one we're talking about in this text who has an active role in our identity of assuring us of who we are in Christ. And friends, I hope we will pause and ponder the truth and the wonder of this. That if we are in Christ, the third person of the Godhead takes up residence within us. That he's there speaking to us. That he is there very present with us to assure us of who we are in God. And that he will never, no, never, no, never leave us. I think sometimes we miss that wonder. We kind of go through the motions and be like, oh yeah, I've got the Holy Spirit in me. And we miss the wonder of that. That the Holy Spirit who has always been God and always been with God and always been part of the Trinity. And who was involved in creation and involved in our identity is dwelling within us. Speaking to us and assuring us of who we are in Christ. My friends, we need to remind ourselves as well, he does not dwell in everyone. He dwells in followers of Jesus. Back to verse 13 of Ephesians 1. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him and Jesus, you were sealed with the promised 
Holy Spirit. The sealing of the Holy Spirit in your life comes when you believe in Jesus. It's only for followers of Christ that the Holy Spirit does this work dwelling within them. There's a flip side of that truth as well that's so cool to realize. That's not only does he only dwell in the hearts of believers, but friends, he dwells in the heart of anyone who's a follower of Christ regardless of their background. He shows no partiality. He is for whatever racial, ethnic background you're from. It doesn't matter. He, the Holy Spirit, dwells equally in all believers regardless of their background. Our text shows that. It's kind of easy to miss in this, but it's fascinating in this one. If you look at our text today, there's actually two parallel sections. So if you want to get into a little bit of the grammar of this, 11 and 12 is a section, and 13 and 14 is a section. If you notice, verse 11 begins with, in him, and verse 12 ends with the phrase, to the praise of his glory. So kind of bookend that, in him, to the praise of his glory. Now, verse 13 begins with, in him, verse 14 ends, to the praise of his glory. So Paul's created this like kind of beautiful, almost like poem, if you will, this structure the exact same way. But something changes in this exact same structure. Look back in verse number 11. In him who has the inheritance. What's the pronoun here? What's the pronoun there? In him who has it? We. We have obtained something. Now, verse 13, the second section. In him, what's the pronoun now in verse 13? You. Okay, why is Paul going between we and between you? Is he getting confused here and forgetting what he wrote? In the first two, verse 11 and 12, he's speaking to the Jews. The people with Jewish background, the same ancestry, the same background he has. In him, we, Paul's including himself in this, we have this inheritance. But then he turns, because remember, Ephesus was a town that had Jews and Gentiles alike. Gentiles being all the non-Jews around. He speaks in verse 13 to in him, you also. He now includes the Gentiles in this as well. And so regardless if you're a Jew or a Gentile, it doesn't matter on that. This inheritance, this role of the Holy Spirit in your life is available regardless of your cultural, regardless of your ethnic background. And so Paul comes to verse 14, and now he unites all this together. Notice the pronoun here in verse 14. It's because he, the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of whose inheritance? What's the pronoun? Ours. Now it's no longer Jew, no longer Greek, no longer we, no longer you, but now in Christ, with the Holy Spirit in us, we are together, our inheritance, sharing in what he does. Friends, it's so important for us to get this because in Christ, All of God's adopted children have equal standing before God. It doesn't matter what country we're from. It doesn't matter our socioeconomic status, who our parents were. It doesn't matter what racial background we are. In Christ, we are equal at God's feet. We all have in Christ the same Holy Spirit within us. He does not show partiality. But what does he do when he dwells within us? In him, in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit now coming to us. What does he do? He assures us of our future with God. Everything we've seen these last two weeks about belonging to God, being adopted, the Holy Spirit's the one who is the one telling us and reminding us that this is our standing. This is who we are. And how does he assure us? Well, Paul brings out two images here in his writings to the people at Ephesus that let us know that our future is secure with God because of the Holy Spirit. The two images he uses here for us are being sealed and having an inheritance. And these are two really important images for us to understand how our identity is grounded in who we are in Jesus. First of all, he says, we are sealed. Look back at verse 13. In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be sealed by the Holy Spirit? It does not mean that God puts you in a Ziploc bag, seals you up, and sticks you in the freezer. That's not what it's talking about. What does it mean to be sealed by something? When we think of sealing, we think of storing stuff most of the time. But in Roman times, a seal had a very different image. In fact, seals were used two ways in the Roman culture. And both have images for what God has done for us. The first image of how what sealing did in Roman culture was it showed ownership. 
If you had something really expensive you wanted to mark as your own, you would put your seal on it, the wax with your stamp on that thing. So if you had a really, not if in today's culture, if you were a Roman culture, if you had a really nice car, a really nice computer, something you didn't want to lose, you put your seal on it, your stamp on it, and showed everyone, hey, this belongs to you. And that's the image that Paul is bringing out for us in verse 13 here, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's showing that we belong to God. When God puts the Holy Spirit in us, when we believe, we are sealed, we are marked, we are set apart as belonging to God. And he speaks that to us. Romans chapter 8, verse 16, reminds us of that. And so, Taylor, if you put that on the screen for us, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The role of the Holy Spirit is to remind us that identity that we belong to God. He's the one who is speaking to us and reminding us every day when we wake up that we are God's child. No matter how tough life gets, no matter what trial we're in, what temptations we're facing, no matter how unstable and uncertain life is, it's the Holy Spirit that God has put within us who is the seal who's speaking into us and reminding us daily, you belong. You are God's. God loves you. God is holding you in his hands. No one can take you out of God's hands. You are secure in Christ. You belong to him. God rejoices over you with singing. That's the Holy Spirit in us who's reminding us that we belong to God. But seals were also used in the Roman culture in a second way, and they were put on official documents to show that the promise of that document was guaranteed. They were put on documents. So when you get a letter saying, we're going to deliver this to you, well, how do I know this is really true? It's not fake. How do I know this, that what's promised in this document was real? There'd be a seal on it. And that seal would go, ah, that's a seal of Sir so-and-so, and uh, he's the one who can deliver this. I know if he said it, it's going to happen. And so we're sealed by the Holy Spirit because it's a guarantee. And in fact, that's the language that Paul brings out in verse 14. The Holy Spirit, he who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The Holy Spirit in us guarantees that what God has promised us will certainly happen, that we will get all that God has promised to us. And what does God promise to us? Well, Paul just summarizes in that little phrase in verse 14, the Holy Spirit who's the guarantee of our inheritance. He said it back in verse 11, we've obtained an inheritance. Now in verse 14, he says inheritance as well. So what does it mean to have an inheritance? Inheritance is something you get from your parents because you're their child. You don't give an inher- parents, you don't give an inheritance to the neighbor's kid next door. Inheritance is something that belongs just to your kids. And so in Christ, as God's adopted children, doesn't matter where we're from, what our ethnicity is, doesn't matter any of that. If we belong to God as his children, we have an inheritance. And the Holy Spirit guarantees that we're going to get this inheritance. Now, what is the inheritance we get from God? Well, it's a lot. It's all the privileges of being his child. And this is where I wish that Paul would kind of list them out for us. But he doesn't. All he tells us they are is way back in verse 3 that we looked at two weeks ago. He says he's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's kind of where I wish there was a footnote. And it went down and Paul said, some of the examples of these every spiritual blessings include dot, dot, dot. And he fills in the blanks for us. But he doesn't. There's too many to list. We have simply an inheritance that Paul summarizes as every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And if you're like me, you're like, well, I need something with that. Like, what does this look like? What are these blessings? The only phrase I can come up with that kind of encapsulates what this inheritance, what this every spiritual blessing looks like, is the phrase we saw over and over and over and over in the Gospel of John, and that's eternal life, abundant life. These spiritual blessings, these things that God promises to his children that will get this inheritance, really comes down to eternal life, to knowing God and being known by him, to having our sins forgiven, having joy, peace, and hope in him. So, friends, the Holy Spirit is assuring us because he sealed us. He's our guarantee. He's 
assuring us that all these, all of our standing before God, that all God has promised us as His as His children, can never, ever, ever be lost. He's assuring us, friends, that if you are a child of God, if I am a child of God, He's assuring us that we will always have eternal life. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is reminding you that you can never lose your standing as being a child of God. And in a really cool image, the Holy Spirit is reminding you that you will always have a seat at God's table. That God is never going to cast you out. God is never going to shun you away. That if you are in Christ, if you've been redeemed, the Holy Spirit inside of you is reminding you that you are secure in that. That you will always have a seat at His table. And this inheritance He's giving to you is forever in the future, but it's also now. And our text today brings out the fact that this inheritance that we have, this blessing, this every spiritual blessing, is not just a far out there thing. It's something we can experience now. We're secure, friends, 30 seconds from now. We're secure 30 minutes from now. And yes, we're secure 30 million years from now. There's a now and kind of a not yet aspect of what the Holy Spirit is assuring us of. Go back to verse 11 here. In Him, we have obtained, we have obtained an inheritance. Again, notice the tense here. We already have obtained it. Why do we already have an inheritance? If we're in Christ, we've already obtained it. Why? Because of verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That means if you've trusted Christ, you are already sealed with the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do anything else to get the Holy Spirit. When you trusted Christ, when you believe the gospel, the Holy Spirit sealed you. And he is already in you to assure you, if you are a child of God, that you really are a child of God. And then he does everything else Scripture shows us. He convicts you of sin. He encourages you. He teaches you. He leads you. He brings Scripture to mind. He directs you. He comforts you. He helps you. He does all those things. And so it's a now part of it. The inheritance starts now. But friends, there's a lot more coming than what we've already experienced now. And verse 14 brings that one out. This is the not yet part of our inheritance. Ephesians 1.14. He who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. It's like, wait, Paul, you just told me I've already obtained it, verse 11, but now you're telling me I've got to wait until I acquire possession of it. We already have it, but there's more coming. There's a future possession. The Spirit of God guarantees we're going to get even more. So friends, think for a minute. The joy you had when you first trusted Christ, the joy you felt when you knew for the first time that burden of guilt had been lifted, and the joy that filled your heart when you knew that God was your Father and you were headed to heaven when you die. That joy, friends, is going to pale in comparison to the joy that you're going to feel when you're 10 million years from now still in the presence of your Creator with an unveiled face seeing Him in all of His glory. You already have it, but there's more coming. Friends, think of the time when you were most overcome with the presence of God. Maybe you were at a worship service. Maybe you were studying the Bible in your Maybe you were, you were a youth at a sold-out camp. Maybe you were at vacation Bible school. But that time when you most sensed the presence of God in your life and how sweet that was, friend, that is going to pale in comparison to when you see God with your eyes for the first time with an unveiled face and you're in His presence and you see Him in all of His glory when nothing's standing between you and between Him and that. Think of the time when the Spirit of God led you to do something and you obeyed the direction of the Spirit of God and you had such a sense of purpose because you saw how God had led you and you saw how the Spirit of God had spoken to you and how you had obeyed and how you stepped out in faith and did what the Spirit of God led you to do and how, what a sense of purpose and fulfillment that was knowing that God had led you and used you in that situation. Friends, that's going to be tiny compared to the time millions of years from now that you're in the presence of God being used still by God to glorify Him and bring Him glory. Friends, take all those incredible experiences you have walking with Christ now, multiply them millions upon millions of times, you've only begun to scratch the surface of what's to come. Verse 14, the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it 
to the praise of his glory. Yes, we have it now. We've already acquired it, but there's so much more we will acquire. And the Holy Spirit is the one in us saying, yes, you're a child of God. Yes, you already have these things, but I've got so much more for you. Wait till what's still to come. So friends, why would he do this for us? Why would God take wretched sinners like you and me who've offended his holiness, who've offended his majesty, who are basically shaking our fists at him saying, God, I don't want you, I want my ways. Why would God take people like us and turn our hearts to him and redeem us and rescue us and save us and adopt us in his, in his family, give us a seat at his table, make us transformed and be using us for his purposes and then say, hey, by the way, I'm going to make sure you're secure in that. I'm going to make sure that you understand you're my child. Why would he do that for us? We'll go back to verse 11. In him, we've obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So in that verse, whose purpose is it that these things happen? God's purpose, his purpose. And whose will is it? His will. It's his purpose and his will. So what's the answer in, in kind of on the surface level of why God chose to do this? Well, because he's God and he wanted to. Friends, God doesn't have to tell us anymore. God is God and God can do what God wants to do. He's sovereign. He has the rule, the right, and the power to reign over all and order the, the, our lives and the universe the way he wants. That's all. He doesn't have to tell us anything more. He owes us nothing more than to say, I'm God, I do what I want to do. But his kindness to us, he shows us a little bit more of why he's doing these things for you and for me and Christ. And he tells us that in verse 12. So that. Why do he work all these things? What are his purposes? Verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of of his glory. He did these things so that we might be to the praise of his glory. Then verse 14 repeats that. The Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Why did God choose us? Why did God adopt us? Why did God, why does God transform us? Why is he reminding us of our identity and assuring us this secure? He's doing all that so that he might be glorified. And it's so important to realize God does all this for us. The Holy Spirit assures us of our future with God. He does all this not because we're amazing. He does it because God's amazing. He doesn't do all this for us because he wants to make much of us. He does it because he's making much of himself. He doesn't do this because he needs us. He does it because we're so desperately in need of him. When he chooses to meet us at that point of need, he shows himself strong. He does all this ultimately, friends, so that we are to the praise of his glory, so that our lives become a testimony of his grace now and forever. And so the Holy Spirit assures us, he secures us, so that the praise we give to God will always continue. So that for all eternity, we certainly will arrive and we certainly will continue to praise God. The Holy Spirit assures me of my future with God. God gets the glory, and friends, while God gets the glory, you and I get the joy. And that's the cool thing about this. God has so ordered these things that with the Holy Spirit assuring us of our identity in Christ being secure... God gets all the glory for it. It's all of him. But friends, you and I get a lot of joy in it. And the joy that seems so full now, but there's so much more still to come. The Holy Spirit assures me of my future with God. Friends, what difference does that make in my life practically? If I really believe that the Holy Spirit is dwelling within me, and he's assuring me that I am a child of God, that my identity is secure, what difference does that make? Well, there's a lot of things we could say about that. I want to give you just simply three this morning. Three differences all this, this truth makes that the Holy Spirit assures me our future with God. Number one is we do not have to fear losing our salvation if we really believe. If we really believe, we don't have to fear losing our salvation. Now, I need to clarify on this because this doesn't mean if you prayed a prayer when you were seven, you're okay. This means if you've really believed, and we saw all through our study of the Gospel of John, belief means you have a radical transformation from above. If you really believe, your life is going to be different. And so don't put your hope in the fact you walked down an aisle and prayed a prayer, but put your hope in the fact you believe that who Jesus is 
you submitted your life to him as Lord and that you're trusting in him as Lord and your life is different because of it. If you've really believed in all we saw in the Gospel of John, then you have nothing to fear. You have the witness of the Holy Spirit in you, confirming to you, speaking to you, saying you are a child of God. You belong and you can never lose that. Friends, remember the God who spoke the universe into being. With his words, he created the entire universe. The same words he said, I have chosen you. You are mine. You belong. I've adopted you. The God who's powerful enough to speak the universe into being is powerful enough to keep you secure for the day of salvation in Christ. You don't have to fear. Number two, though, it also means we must orient our lives around God being praised. We must orient our lives around God being praised. God did not choose me out of darkness and bring me into light. He did not adopt me. He did not, he did not transform me. He did not give me part of his plan. He did not then secure me and say, you're my child. He didn't do all this so I can go live like I want to live and be like, I'm going to heaven when I die. See you later, God. That's not why he did all this for us. He did all this, what we saw in verses 12 and verse 14 here, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. Friends, he did all this so that he might receive praise from us and through us as others see the transformation he's worked in our lives as well. Everything is for his glory. So the question for us is not great. I'm going to heaven. I'm secure. Now I'm going to live like I want to live. I'm done. I've got my check to heaven. I'm okay. This is now a call to me and a call to you that we must orient our lives around making sure God is praised in all that we do. That our whole lives are a living sacrifice of praise to him. That means our quest and our question, our desire needs to be, Lord, how do I glorify you when I'm at home? Lord, how do I praise you when I'm at work? God, how do I make sure you're glorified when I'm at school? How do I make sure that you're getting praise while I'm shopping? How do I make sure you're being glorified as I'm driving down the boulevard? Lord, how do I make sure you're getting praise and glory while I'm eating at Chick-fil-A? Well, some are easier than others, but you, you get the idea on that. Like, everything in our life is supposed to be about God being praised, about God getting glory. And we must orient our lives, not around pleasure, not around ourselves and our agendas, but around God. You have adopted me. You've chosen me. You've given me an identity. You've given me belonging. You've secured me. Now your Holy Spirit reminds me every day I'm your child. Lord, how do I glorify you in this? All this is for his glory. So we don't have to be afraid. Two, we orient our lives around glorifying God, praising him. But number three, we can confidently speak of Jesus to people of all backgrounds. We can confidently speak of Jesus. Not just we can, we should, we must confidently speak of Jesus to people of all backgrounds. We saw in our text here in those first two verses that in him we have have obtained an inheritance. That was to the Jews. Then we saw Paul switch to in him you have obtained an inheritance. That's the Gentiles to where he comes together and says, our inheritance, friends, the gospel is for all people regardless of their backgrounds. And most of us typically are not are more prone to share the gospel, if we even open our mouths to share the gospel, with people who look like us and think like us and have the same backgrounds as us. But the call is, like Paul here, to make sure that all hear the gospel. Back in verse 13, he, Paul reminded people that when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed. Notice the order. You heard the gospel, and then you believed. Friends, if you're in Christ, you're in Christ because someone talked to you about Jesus. You didn't get zapped one night. As I've heard your stories, no one said, I was laying in bed one night, and boom, Jesus appeared before me and told me, this is who I am, this is how, I'm supposed to, how you're supposed to live, and it, it happened. All of your stories that you told me have been someone, whether it was a parent, a Sunday school teacher, a VBS worker, a friend at school, someone talk to you about Jesus, or you found a copy of God's Word, and you opened God's Word, and you read it for yourself. Friends, faith comes by hearing, and hearing the Word of God. There's no salvation apart from this. The reason you and I believe is because someone took the initiative to either hand us a copy of God's Word, to leave a Bible for us, or they opened their mouths, and they shared with us the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be thankful. If you haven't paused and prayed for the person who led you to faith in Christ, or thank God for them, that'd be a great thing to do today. 
to remember that God sent someone to you to tell you this word of truth, this gospel of your salvation. And friends, that means that all those around us are not going to hear as well, unless you and I open our mouths as well. Not just tell them what we think, but to point them back to the gospel. We can confidently speak of Jesus to people of all backgrounds. We saw last week, 2 Corinthians 5, that he has reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciliation. Friends, God's plan, he can do any way he wants. He's sovereign, he's God, but he's chosen to work through us to make him known. And so this reality that the Holy Spirit assures me of my future with God also means that I need to have a passion, a burden to make him known to others who do not know him yet as well. Friends, the Holy Spirit assures me of my future with God. If you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit assures you of your future with God, that you have an identity of belonging to God, being adopted, being transformed, being used for his glory. And no matter how uncertain or unstable life gets, you can rest in that anchor that who you are in Christ will never, no, never, no, never change. Friends, how do we respond to something as as amazing as that? Our response is simply to worship. There's nothing we do to repay God for what he's done. It's not what he's asking for. He doesn't need us, but he chooses us to work through us. We, our only proper response to this amazing truth of what he's done for us and adopting us and transforming us and using us and glorifying himself through us is simply to respond in worship. And for this very fitting is we finish up these three weeks on what is our identity as we see in this first 14 verses of Ephesians here. Very fitting for us to end that by celebrating communion, the Lord's Supper. It's an act of worship for us. Because it's an act of worship to remember that God has given us this grace. But it's also an act of worship for us because it reminds us of something really precious and true as well. So often we emphasize the fact this is free. And that's true. There's nothing you and I could do to earn being adopted. We couldn't walk into God's throne room and say, God, you have to adopt me as your child. No, God chose us. He set us apart for this. It's his work in our lives to where we're able to even be adopted. Just any more than I can march into the the royal palace up in London and say, hey, I'm going to be a, an adopted prince now of, of, the, of the UK crown. Like, it doesn't work that way. It's all of God's work in our lives. <clears throat> but it's free for us. He gives it to us. But we need to remember it came with a cost. And so this morning as we come to communion, I thought it would be appropriate for us, instead of reading our normal text, but to read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Because it's everything we're seeing about our identity, but it's the extreme cost that there was for us to have this free gift for us. So Ephesians chapter 1 Verse 7, just look back up a few verses. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Friends, it's a free grace gift for us, but it came at a high cost. Ephesians 1, 7, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption. We saw that two weeks ago. He's purchased us. We belong to him now, but it came through his blood. Friends, for us to have this identity came at a high, high cost. That Jesus... Second person of the Trinity, God himself, came to earth, lived a perfect life, fulfilled the law you and I could never fulfill so we could go die a cruel death on the Roman cross, taking the penalty that you and I deserve, that all the wrath that he endured should have been put on you and I because we're the ones who have offended God. But yet he went in our place. He shed his blood on that cross. His body was broken on that cross so that you and I might have forgiveness of our sins. And so, friends, what we do in communion here is a chance for us to remember the high cost that it was for you and I to have this free grace gift of having this identity of belonging to God. So as we come this morning, as we receive the bread, we're reminded that his body was broken. He hung on a cross to take the penalty that we deserve. His blood, as you take the juice, is a reminder to us that his blood was poured out so that we might have forgiveness. Scripture is very clear that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 
And so I want to invite you that if you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, it doesn't matter what church you're from, doesn't matter your background, but if you are trusting in Christ and Christ alone as your Lord and Savior, you are welcome to come. You're invited to come celebrate, worship to God of what he's done for you by reminding yourself through these elements that his body was broken, his blood was poured out so that you could now belong to God. With that said, this is only for people who are followers of Jesus. It doesn't matter what church background you are if you trust in Christ. But friends, if you've never trusted in Christ, if your hope's in anything besides Jesus and Jesus alone, I'd encourage you just to stay in your seat. There's no shame. No one's going to look at you like, hey, why is that person in their seat? No one's going to look at you funny. We want you to just sit there and talk to the Lord about this. If you're not confident that you don't have the Holy Spirit in you assuring you you're a child of God, don't come take this. Church has very serious warnings for us about taking these in an unworthy manner, about taking these without discerning the body and blood of Christ. And so if you've never trusted in Christ, let me just ask you to stay where you're seated. Just stay there and pray. And let your prayer be this. God, if you're real, would you show yourself to me? Because if you're not believing in Jesus and you're here, you probably think the rest of us in this room are crazy, and that's okay. We're glad you're still here. But why don't you sit there and be like, Lord, I think they're all crazy, but maybe they are. But if you are really real and they found who you really are, would you show yourself to me? Just pray that simple prayer and see what happens. And and for the rest of you who know you're in Christ, who the Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God, I want to invite you to come, to take the elements, to worship God in response for all he has done for you, and to thank him through this for the grace that he has poured out through his blood and his body being broken so that you could become an adopted child of God. Just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite our worship team to come receive the elements. And then our deacons will direct you. The way we observe it here is our deacons will help you come to the front. You'll receive the elements, and then you'll return to your seat. When you return to your seat, there's no rush on taking them. You can sit down, talk to the Lord, make sure there's no unconfessed sin in your life. Just praise the Lord and worship Him, and then take it whenever you're ready. There's no rush on that. But our deacons will help you. Uh, If you have dietary needs, we do have gluten-free communion bread up here available for you as well. But let me pray for us. Father, what a precious truth it is that we belong to you. God, that you looked upon us, sinners who were so far from you, and in your great grace and your kindness, you took unworthy individuals like us and you drew us to yourself. You gave us faith to believe, God. You turned our hearts to you. And God, not just that, you didn't just forgive us. God, you then adopted us and you made us your children. You've given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And Lord, to even top that up, then you put your Holy Spirit within us who assures us day by day that you love us, that we belong to you, that we can never lose your love for us. I'm even thinking right now of the verse, Lord, in Zephaniah, where it says, you rejoice over us with singing. To think, Lord, that you took us, your enemies, and you forgave us, you saved us, you sealed us, and now you rejoice over us. Not because of anything in us, but because of your work in us. So God, I pray now as your children, as we celebrate communion, God, that we would treasure those truths that we belong to you, that we remember, Lord Jesus, that your body was broken on the cross so we might have forgiveness of our sins, that we remember that your blood was poured out because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. God, I pray as your children will do the only appropriate response is to thank you and praise you and worship you. So God, as we observe the communion, as we observe the Lord's Supper, would you instill faith in our hearts and remind us of the great cost of it? Would you instill in our hearts greater love for you, renew our affections for you in this? Convict us of sins in our life we've not dealt with. And just be so stirring that, Lord, as we take these elements, Lord, our hearts are drawn close to yours. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
Still, and you alone could 